Welcome back to another Flushem and Dustin podcast. Uh, this podcast is going to feature Jennifer Wapensky. Uh, she works with and is part of uh, Project Upland, Hunty Dog Confidential, and she is currently owns two Deutsch Longhars. Um, so I actually uh, was, after Nick got his poodle pointer, uh, I just started researching um, some of the versatile hunting breeds that are out there. And Nabda has, um, they have them named the German long-haired pointer. Um, but that breed kind of interested me and I uh, came across Jennifer's um, profile uh, on Instagram and saw that they had some pups and we had a conversation on the phone oh, a few weeks back um, just to learn more about uh, that breed in general. Uh, and it's very intriguing, but we're going to take it over to Jennifer to introduce herself, and we're going to dive into that breed even more and what brought them to uh, running Deutsch Longhairs. So, Jennifer, if you want to introduce yourself, and we'll take it from there. Sure, you bet. Yeah, and and uh, the fact that you landed on the breed and on me says that you were definitely doing some research because it's not a breed that uh, most people have run across. And uh, typically, if people hear about it, it's because they're they're really digging in and doing their homework. So it's it's always a fun conversation to have. But yeah, sure. yeah um, my name is Jennifer Wapensky. I work I'm the director of operations for Project Upland, and I edit the Hunting Dog Confidential magazine, co-host the Hunting Dog Confidential podcast with Craig Koshik. So I am very fortunate to have a front row seat to somebody who is just a walking encyclopedia of of bird dogs and particularly of versatile pointing dogs so i've really really enjoyed uh, just getting to work with craig and and to tap into his knowledge and and uh, just wind him up and point him in a direction and let him go but um we uh, uh i'm also i'm the breed warden for the deutsch Longhaar club of north america uh which all that means is i um our dogs have to be certified before they can be bred. You can't just take one dog, breed it to another and call them Deutsch Longhars. So um, I review the paperwork to make sure that dogs are uh, meeting all the requirements for breeding and then uh, sign off on, on the breedings that take place and kind of handle all the paperwork. So it's a fancy title, um, but it's just uh, it's just overseeing which dogs we are qualifying to breed for the, the future of the breed in North America. Nice. What uh, So what are some of the requirements for the Deutsch Longhair to continue breeding or to be yeah. bred? So, so in order to be certified for breeding, um, either a male or female must pass their puppy test, which it's very similar to a, a NAVDA natural ability. It's called the VJP. Um, and then uh, the dog must also pass their fall test, which is done that same year at the end of the summer, beginning of fall following their puppy test. That's called the HZP. And in NAVDA terms, it's, it's fairly similar to like a, a UPT, a utility prep test, where there's no field steadiness required, but there's a lot of water work. Um, it's a lot of retrieving work. They need to do a blind. They need to um, uh, do a search behind the duck. I know NAVDA people are familiar with that too. So pass those two tests, one in the spring, one in the fall, and it's time critical. So a dog is eligible to run those tests only in the, the summer after they're born. So that's their, oh, really? their one, their one time to do it. So the system really does favor, um, uh, 
early maturity, early development. Um, so you can't come back later and, uh, you know, and attempt that test at three, four or five years old. It's just those dogs are typically for that fall test. They're, they're up to, but generally not more than, than two years old. Oh, wow. Um, and then, uh, so the, those two performance tests, um, we do a breed show, which is a confirmation evaluation. It's not, it's not a show in the sense of, you know, we crown a champion. Um, it's more, it's a pass fail. So we have confirmation judges that look at each dog and make sure their structure and their form and their coat and their type is all correct. So the dog must pass that. Um, they must be marked loud on a on furred game, which is usually going to be a rabbit or a hare. So um, either sight or scent doesn't matter, um, but they have to have been marked loud. Uh, they must have their hips evaluated, uh, so they can't have any uh, hip dysplasia. And then um, they also have to pass the hardness test, which is uh, dispatching a, a, a predator, so raccoon, feral cat fox, that sort of thing. Um, every, every breeding Deutsch Langhaar has to, has to have um, dispatched a predator. So all those things together. And then, you know, part of its temperament too, um, at, a, at a test, you know, the judges are not only evaluating the dog doing the field search and, and the pointing and the retrieving, but they're also looking at temperament. Um, so any dog that's shown to be excessively shy or aggressive uh, would, would also get cut from, from the breeding requirements. Yeah. So what does the uh... What's the training look like for the dispatching part? Like, well, um, I mean, how do you train for that? You you don't. Um, it's it is very much a natural skill that um, you know the Germans expect their foresters dogs to have. Um, and if you think about hunting in Germany, it's much more based around um, wildlife management. It's, it's a very proactively managed yeah. uh, situation as opposed to in North America. So, you know, they're looking at a, at a piece of property and wanting to have an exact number of what can that land support, certain number of prey animals, certain number of predators. And, and it's, you know, the responsibility of the forest manager and their dog um, to to be able to control the predator population as well. So, um, so it's a natural skill. Um, it's it, it, yeah, it's just something that the dog is expected yeah. to do um, in a hunting situation. And how's it, how's that test set up? It's it's not um, okay. Yeah, I guess we call it a test, but it's it's a, something that a dog needs to have done in a hunting situation and been witnessed. It's a tough thing. Um, you know, it's it's something that you know, it's, like I said, it's very much a part of the German hunting culture. It's not here, um, and so it's it's a requirement that kind of runs afoul of our, our typical hunting needs and hunting culture, but we follow all the same requirements. Um, we register our dogs in Germany. They have to meet all, okay. all exactly the same. So we don't, yeah, we don't, unfortunately don't have a, a choice with them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So do you register <clears throat> your dogs in the U.S. as well, or are they specifically registered just in Germany? They are, um, they all have FCI registrations and the FCI is the uh, kind of the United Nations of kennel clubs. Uh, it, it's a governing organization of all of the kennel clubs, except the US, Canada and the UK. <laughs> so okay. everybody else trees up under the FCI. So the dogs get registered in Germany, that trees up to the, the FCI. Um, and that's where their official registration is. I also register our dogs um, personally in NAVDA. Yep. So that we can test and, and compete in that. But, um, but no, the, the Deutsch Langhaar uh, are just German registered and, and therefore FCI. Okay. Nope. That makes sense. Uh, <clears throat> so for the, 
so when like when you look at NAMDA or NAMDA, however you say it, um, you'll see the German long-haired pointer, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the Deutsch long heart. So what is, besides the name, if there is, <laughs> uh, what's the difference between that and as someone that's looking at the breed, mm-hmm. uh, what can they expect maybe from the German long-haired pointer compared to sure. the Deutsch long heart? Sure. That's a that's a, a fuzzy line and you'll find very passionate people on both sides of the debate. Um, most people are more familiar with Deutsch Drauthaars and versus German wire hairs. And it's exactly the same difference where you you have, you know, breeds that were brought over to America, they get bred under varying circumstances, whether, you know, breeders are kind of looking for more of a NAFTA type dog or more of a field trial type dog. And you just sort of end up going all these different directions and it's not uh, so tightly controlled. And and so German long hair pointers, German wire hair pointers, you know, they can be registered with the AKC. They, It can mean a lot of different things depending on what lines you're looking at or, or what specific dogs you're talking about. Um, using the German language name, Deutsch Langhaar, Deutsch Drauthaar, Deutsch Kurzhaar, that is how uh, we differentiate dogs that are still registered in Germany and held to those standards. So you could say that all Deutsch Langhaar are German Longhair pointers, but not all German Longhair pointers are Deutsch Langhaar because they don't, they aren't necessarily held to all of those same breeding standards. So when you use the German name, whether it's Drauthaar or Longhaar, you're just referring to a, a system that uh, has certain requirements that produces a certain product um, and and using that German language name is kind of the most convenient way to to differentiate. Okay no that makes that makes sense. I was kind of curious if it was something with like the breeding or um, but it's more so obviously if they have just the German long hair pointer name they haven't gone through any of the German standards. Right. But, you know, I mean, when, when we register our dogs with NAVDA, that's the box that I check. So yep. our dogs are GLPs in the NAVDA world, NAVDA. Um, yep. but it's, yeah, it's, it's a way of, of defining the system that produced them. Because if you, you, you can take two drought hars or, or two long hars, you can breed them, but say, say you didn't, uh, you didn't complete those tests or, you know, they, they didn't receive passing scores or whatever, but you breed them anyway those puppies genetically are drought hairs or are long hairs. I mean, their, their parents yeah, yeah. are each came, but because you, the, yeah. it wasn't done within that system, those puppies cannot be called drought hairs or long hairs. They'd be German wire hairs or German long hairs. And, you know, people get funny because, you know, while well, the genetics are exactly the same, but, but at what point do you draw that line? Because five generations later, 10 generations later, you know, you, where do you say it's, it's no longer that same dog. So that's, yep. that's how it's managed. That makes sense. So when you guys were looking at <clears throat> getting a hunting dog, what drew you to the Deutsch Longhars? And then uh, on top of that, what made you guys decide to take the German route sure. of a Deutsch Longhar over just doing the German long hair? pointer route. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when we decided to get a bird dog, we were new hunters. We had started duck hunting uh, for about a season or two. Um, we had a greater Swiss mountain dog who wasn't into wet grass, let alone water. So she was not <laughs> going to be doing, <laughs> she was not going to be doing any retrieving for us. Um, 
And uh, so when it came time to get a new dog, we thought, oh, you know, we're, we're kind of starting to get into this hunting thing and be fun to have a dog that could come with us and do the things that we like to do and add to our, our hunting experience. Um, we had also gone to a learn to hunt day because we'd been doing waterfall and we went to an upland learn to hunt day that our state agency had put on. And uh, there were some German short hairs there and they kind of set up a scenario. They planted some pheasants and you got to go out and, and just seeing those dogs work was just pure magic. I mean, it just, and having you know come from duck hunting it was dry it was sunny it was a very reasonable middle of the day time of day you know I'm like I think this upland hunting thing's for me so um so we just we're serial researchers and um we did, I got it sitting right here on my desk actually but Craig's Craig's book the uh, pointing dogs volume one the continentals that was my birthday present that, that year nice. and um, I just poured through it and I read about every single breed that there was and there was did a you find that on Amazon or where can you find that book at? on yeah. Amazon project upland sells it uh, okay. you can order through Craig's website yeah perfect um and uh, uh yeah it's just it has every every continental European pointing breeds all the versatile breeds and profound detail um he went to every country and and uh you know research where these dogs had come from and talked oh, to wow. people who owned and bred them so yeah it's 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 quite a work but anyway I, I poured through it reading about every breed and there were a few that just really stuck out and and to be honest it was kind of a look thing too I like you and I talked about this but I, I like the floppy ears and the long coats and so I kind of was looking at the Munsterlanders the German long hairs uh, uh, you know stood out even Britney's I just I, I was interested in learning more about those dogs who had the same characteristics as many of the other breeds, but I liked the look, I liked the coat. So I just started reaching out to, to different breeders to learn what I could and really connected with a, a breeder of Deutsch Longhaar. And, you know, we became pen pals. I asked a ton of questions and what she explained about this system that produced something really consistent. You know, we go through all this effort not because it's fun to drive three states away to do a weird esoteric test that you know yeah. a smaller population is doing, but but we do this because it's proven to work and it, it produces dogs that hunt. And us being new and thinking, man, we could really profoundly screw this up. Um, <laughs> we just felt like getting a dog that was guaranteed to have the pieces meant that the errors would be on us. Like like the dog had what it took. And if it didn't work out, we knew that we had done something wrong and, and would have something to improve as opposed to always wondering like, well, maybe the dog just doesn't know how to hunt. You know, I, to, to me, it was an insurance policy of, of getting something that was proven. Um, yeah. And we were drawn to versatile dogs because we were new hunters and we didn't really know what kind of hunting we wanted to do. You know, people give advice like, well, you know, find a breed that hunts the way you do. We didn't hunt, so I didn't know. And so yeah. versatile sounded good. How, how about something that can do a little bit of everything? And, and that was that was how I got into it. And then, of course, ever since then, it's been a process of discovery of some of the amazing things that these dogs can do from blood tracking, big game to small game hunting to, of course, birds and, and waterfall. So yeah, it's been it's been a fun journey. Yeah. So what so you got your first <clears throat> Deutsch Longhorn. And for sure, you call them DLs, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, five years so ago. Yeah. Five years, and that was what's is that? What's one is that? Um, her it's name? Piper. Piper. Yeah, she's Piper. Lisa Lam Korshatten, and uh, we call her Piper. And yeah, she suffered through brand new handlers, brand new trainers, um, brand new hunters. We we joke about the difference between her, and then we ended up breeding her, and we kept a female from her, and that's our second female, and that's Abby. We joke that. 
you know, Piper's first season and she was young for the start of the season. I think by January, she was uh, still just what, six months old or so. So, I mean, it was a young, young, young puppy season, but you know, we would go out, we didn't know where to look for birds. We would go out and we would traipse around the sagebrush and think, well, it's, it could be birds out here. And, and Piper thought the game was to go out, get lost, walk around in circles and then find the truck again. And she would be so excited to find the truck, you know, and until, until we finally, you know, it kind of accidentally started bumping into some quail. Um, whereas Abby, her daughter, by the time we had her and we were a lot more experienced, we knew how to put her on birds. She was born just believing that there were always birds out there, which reflects in her in her search and in her drive because there's just that innate faith that (laughs) that birds will be found you know yeah how do they hunt are are they do they range pretty far are they do they stay closer you know what's Um, what's their average yeah depending on how you want to set your scale um they're they're pretty medium medium ranging dogs um you know piper's our closer worker if we're on an open ridge with chucker um you know she'll she's comfortable working at like 150 yards and then she'll you know dip down and she's really really good at searching likely cover so she'll go 400 yards 500 yards out to dip down you know into a draw and, and look at something that she feels looks birdie yeah. um but her comfortable working range is kind of yeah 125 150 abby's a little farther out 150 to 200 pushing you know 250 maybe um she just has bigger legs and more run but yeah. um I, I grouse hunt with piper and she's really good at adjusting um into a much closer range where she's generally within sight or, or pretty close to being yeah inside. and that are you talking like rough grouse in the woods or uh, yeah yeah we have um so i'm in western washington we have some rough grouse on this side and then as soon as you get over the mountain pass really up into the mountains you can get um we have both versions of blue grouse oh, um, nice. city and dusty dusky and then um uh there's no other grouse hunting in washington our sharp tails are protected our sage are protected um but it, yeah when we go to montana and stuff we do get into sharp tails yeah nice oh, that sounds awesome and as being first time bird dog trainers getting started with your first one um obviously you ran her through the test um for the german side Mm -hmm. what was kind of that process and you know what uh obviously it had to be done within that first year or the first summer um of it being done what was what was that kind of like as being a new handler and taking that step to run them through the actual yeah. the German test. My my advice to any new handlers after going through that is to do anything you can to go see a test um, without a dog. Uh, just go and, 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 and watch it because I think, and, and maybe it's just me because I'm a more anxious person, but I feel like I spend a lot of time worrying about, am I in the right spot? Am I doing the right thing? What's happening next? Do I, you know, where am I supposed to be here? And, and so having had the chance to see a test in advance, I think really helps put you at ease as far as understanding what's coming and what the day is going to look like. And in turn, that puts your dog at ease. Um, they're very aware of, of how keyed up you may or may not be. So, um, yeah, so for the human, uh, being able to witness a test ahead of time is huge. Um, short of that, um, you know, make sure that you're going to, if, if you have a club in your area that has some training days, even, you know, we spend a lot of time with our local NAVDA chapter yeah. and that carries over. It's, it's a lot of the same skills it's uh the energy of a training day is the same regardless of what types of dogs are there um just helping your dog to understand that 
there's a lot of sitting and waiting. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of people and dogs around. You need to just chill and wait your turn. Um, I think, I think in terms of test day prep, that's probably more important of just preparing for the, the, the temperature and emotion of the day as, as opposed to the skills themselves. But um, the puppy test, you know, that's, that's strictly an exposure thing. Um, you know, if your dog has hunted, um, they'll know how to search a field and point. Um, there's a, a tracking a live rabbit component. So, uh, ideally your dog's first time experiencing a jackrabbit isn't on, on test day. So you want yeah. to make sure you, you get out and have your uh, dog have a chance to chase some rabbits and, and get excited about that and, and learn how to, to track. Um, yeah. Our dogs tend to be pretty nose down hunters anyway. So tracking comes very, very naturally. Um, but if all you know are cottontails and you show up on the test day and it's being run on jackrabbits, that can be a real shock when a, when a huge yeah. jack gets up in front of your dog. So yeah, yeah, that can that can definitely throw them off. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that's crazy. Um, so you have, let's see, you're on your, are you on your second litter? You just, or? yeah, our second litter um, just went well because we, uh, we're co-owning one, and he's here, and he's 11 weeks old. So yeah, they went home three weeks ago. Nice. Uh, what was, what'd you learn from your first litter to your <laughs> second litter? Any good? stories um, or like things you learned through on yeah it was two and a half years between litters which I think was the right amount of time for the <laughs> the like you kind of forget about the sleepless nights and how much worrying there was I mean the amount of things that you can worry to me a litter of puppies you just look at them and think my gosh there's you know eight of you there's seven of you how am I going to keep you all alive <laughs> and you become a little neurotic about you know weighing once or twice daily and charting it so you've got a table of all their weights and stuff you know um but it's, it's fun. And we were lucky both times that, um, you know, the moms were really, really good, really attentive. And so it was, it was more of a management role for me than, than uh, hands-on raising them. But um, I think, I think the hardest part of a litter is finding really quality homes for the puppies to go to. Um, you know, I, I'm invested in these dogs and I want to know how they're doing, not only in the first week or the third week, but in, in the 10th year. Um, yeah. And so, finding people that really understand what they're getting into. You know, these are, these are intense hunting dogs. They're cute. They have floppy ears. They're, you know, really, I, I enjoy having them around the house, but I think in some ways that's deceiving. There's a lot of intensity there. Um, we talked about the hardness test, you know, they're, they're not labs. They're not golden retrievers. They, they are born to hunt. And that, you know, that's one of the reasons that we have this really tightly controlled system and, and the dogs only get placed in hunting homes because once you've seen one hunt, you know, that that's what it was born to do. And, and to keep it from doing that is, is just cruel to the dog. Yeah. So finding people that, um, that get that and that um, are really committed to developing that dog into everything that it can be um, and, and just hunting it a ton. That's all we ask for. Just, just be serious about getting out and, and putting them on game, whatever it is, whether it's blood tracking for birds, doesn't matter. They, they don't care, but they love to do it. Yeah, no, that's, that's one of the, the cool things that I think is <clears throat> someone once said on our podcast that we had on, they're like, if you want to, if you want to screw up a dog breed, I can't remember exactly how they say it, but basically if you want to screw up a dog breed, bring them to the U.S. and run yeah. through the U.S. stuff, you know, and, and I just think it's super cool that even though the dog is in the U.S., right, that you're still, mm -hmm. it's still running like the German test it's still mm -hmm. 
being the dog that is across seas that has, I mean, their programs over there are just elite, you know, and everybody like, even in like the golden retriever world or lab <clears throat> world, they, a lot of guys are like, Oh, we get the dogs from the UK, you know, and like they bring that blood bloodline over to the U S because they just mm-hmm. know that it's people want that. It's better, you know? Um, and I just think that's awesome with the, the Deutsch Longhars and like that group that it's, you're just still so it's just, a, it's a small group and it's, staying extremely consistent and there's not going to be like a veer off of yeah you know yeah it it excels at producing consistency now whether that outcome is a good fit for you or not that's different for every hunter you know not everybody wants a dog dog that's (laughs) yeah yeah gonna get jazzed about fur or you know have have that kind of (laughs) intense edge um that that they have but um for those that it is a good fit what it means is that you know every litter that's produced you're really getting just about the same thing there's not a lot of personal preference or variations because they're all having to do the same things in the same way yeah I think that that part's awesome is it it just when you see one hunt and you know that it's ran through that system or through that breeding like you know what is going to be coming down the road or you know and I for me you know I I think it's great for the test and I I like to see that but I also like to know how the parents of Mm -hmm. the pup that I'm going to bring home hunts how they act you know and um so that's like, I appreciate when I found like you guys, you take a lot of videos of what you're doing with your dogs, what you're doing with the pups mm-hmm. and some of that stuff you're doing. I don't know if you learned that from, uh, <clears throat> other breeders, you know, in mm-hmm. the Deutsch Longhard world, but I was like, oh my God, just that, there was one, I think you guys were already using clicker. Oh yeah. Uh, stuff before the dogs even went home. Mm-hmm. Um, you had another video of, when it was puppy feeding time, all the pups had to be quiet before you put the food <laughs> down. I'm like, holy crap, you know, like yeah, that's small that small stuff at that age. And they used and if the person that brings it home stays consistent with that, yeah. like you are gonna have not just one heck of a hunting dog, but just one heck of a, a home dog too, you know, yeah, a respectful, yeah. a respectful dog um that people like to be around. Yeah. They're little sponges. They really are. And and you can take advantage of the pack mentality of like, you know, when, when you've got seven of them and, and they see one of them sat nicely and got pet and like, Oh, monkey see monkey do they, they can do that. I can do that too. And, and so you can really take advantage of that, you know, copycat mentality at that age to, to teach them pretty quickly. Yeah, no, that is, do, uh, do you guys hunt much for, for fur then, uh, or are you guys mainly bird We're hunters? M- mostly birds, upland and duck. Um, not to say that, you know, sometimes we, uh, we don't go after rabbits when, uh, when the bird hunting is slow. Um, yeah. but uh, we would like, there are snowshoes in the mountains here and we've talked about going up and, and learning to pursue them a little, uh, more intently, um, partly for the longer season, partly for something more versatile to do with the dogs. Um, so that's something we'd like to expand into and, and learn a little better, but no, we're primarily upland birds, um, do try to do still a fair amount of duck hunting, but, uh, yeah, I just, for me, you can't beat walking an open ridge, whether you find birds or not. My gosh, yeah, you know, it was an awesome hike and, with your dogs. Yeah. 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 Um, and so one of my main things for the Deutsch long hair breed 
is so i'm not a big fur hunter mm-hmm. uh, we do have a lot of rabbits and i i live in iowa um we do have a lot of rabbits here um so my like my big concern would be when we're hunting or bird mm-hmm. hunting I wouldn't, I'm not worried waterfowl, right? You're pretty yeah. just strict what you're doing, but let's say we're upland hunting pheasant. Um, I would, my concern would be, would they stick to just running rabbits or, or do they have a pretty good gears or switches mm-hmm. to be like, oh, there's a bird over here. I'm not going to pay attention to this rabbit scent or are they more, you know, or is it just how you train them, I guess? Yeah. In, in our experience um, over the last five years, the dogs are so good at picking up on contextual clues. Um, they're so good on picking up on what it is that you want them to do. So just like every puppy points meadow larks, um, and eventually they learn, hey, you didn't get excited about it. You didn't shoot <laughs> at it. Where I guess we won't worry about those. Yeah. Um, it, it can be the same if you're not targeting rabbits. If, if you know, believe me, the first couple of times they flush a rabbit, they will take off oh, after yeah. it. There will be barking. Um, but if you, um, if you never shoot, if you're never interested in it, if it, they, they will pick up on that. Um, yeah. we really only got ourselves into an unwanted rabbit hunt once. Um, and we, <laughs> we run a quail hunt that produced no quail and, uh, we ended up accidentally in a, like a huge nesting colony of cottontails. And so it was, to be fair, that was sensory overload for Piper. Cause there was like, you couldn't take three steps and another cottontail was scooting out. So she got pretty overstimulated in that environment. But, um, but other than that, if there's birds around and that's what you're targeting and that's what you're excited about, and that's what you're getting, that the dog is getting to retrieve, which they are such passionate retrievers that, yeah. uh, believe me if if they you know never get a rabbit shot but you're getting putting a lot of birds in their mouth um that's what they'll be looking for forget about the rabbits yeah yeah how was uh so you just said they have like the natural retrieve Mm uh was it a pretty seamless process of bringing out the retrieving them to get them to retrieve do you guys goose hunt or anything uh Uh, we don't goose hunt um although we've ended up with a few geese that the girls have found that have been <laughs> shot and lost that yeah. you know snow, snow goose that they dig out of the woods but or out, out of the weeds but um the uh we, we have force fetched both dogs or trained retrieve i guess it, it wasn't a it wasn't a very forceful force fetch yeah. but what they've method been, did you use for it um, we start very positive. We start with cheese, um, just yep. teaching a hold, um, giving them cheese every time they do it. Um, and then we follow it up with an ear pinch um, or an e-collar yep. because our HCP, that test that they have to pass um, is, is mostly a retrieving test. And it's okay. absolutely critical that that retrieve is flawless. In fact, it's, it's so important to the system that if at any point on test day, the dog encounters game, whether it's a test you know, game that was laid out, or if there was just a dead rabbit in the field for whatever reason, if, if the judges see that the dog encounters game and they abandon it in the field, um, it's an immediate fail, pick up your dog, go home, end of, end of your test. So it it is, it's like, it's an inexcusable thing to, to have come across something and not brought it back. So, um, so for that reason, and for us as hunters, um, the, yeah. the retrieve is a non-negotiable for us. So, yep, they, they get force-fetched. They have a, a really, really strong natural retrieve. So then it becomes just a process of teaching them that it's never optional, yeah. no, matter, no matter how they feel about the situation. Nice. No, that sounds, 
that sounds great. That was kind of my one other thing too, just having retrievers, you know, like mm-hmm. I like how the natural retrieve is there. And, you know, we kind of talked about that on the, on the phone. It's just like, you know, one of my favorite parts of hunting is the finish work of the dog mm-hmm. bringing back the yep. game that, you know, the, whatever bird it is that, um, they put in the air, um, <clears throat> or that we shot. So, uh, and they, so they have a pretty strong pointing aspect as well. How is, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm, I've never trained a, a pointing dog, um, with it being your guys's first time going through that and like, uh, do they, and you know, with it being the Germans, uh, side, you have to teach them to track hair, um, but then to point birds, mm-hmm. how does that differ in the, the training? Um, you know, the, the points natural and the tracking is natural. Um, like I was saying where, where they're so sensitive to context. So, um, for example, every time we enter a field, and this is particularly relevant for a test or for training, if we're entering a field and I want the dog to run around, head up, search, look for birds, we have a way that we enter the field. I put the dog on a sit, I tell her to go find the birds. And that becomes a a visual and an auditory clue that we're looking for birds. Um, If I'm bringing her into a track, I will always put her on a down. So I'll give her a command to lay down that puts her nose real close to the ground and, uh, you know, put my hand in front of her and and tell her to track. And eventually they learn just that context of like, oh, I'm sitting to enter the field or, oh, I'm I'm down on my belly and you've got my nose in the start of the track. Um, That becomes their clue of what it is that they're being expected to do. Okay. So, yeah. That makes, that makes sense. I was kind of curious how it like transitioned. Do they point rabbits ever? Or is it mainly just. Sure. Yeah. yeah and, and even, um, and, and that's not a, that's not a bad thing at all. Yeah. Like on, on Abby's puppy test. Um, so the way that you do the, the rabbit tracks is you get a whole line of people that just push through the sage. Um, and as soon as they see a jackrabbit run, they raise their hand and they call a judge over and the judge, you know, witnesses the rabbit running away. And then you bring a, a dog in to the start of it and see what they do uh, to follow that scent trail. And okay. more often than not, um, when you bring that puppy into where that jackrabbit had been sitting, they'll go on point on the scent because it's just a really hot spot yeah. where that rabbit had been sitting. And that's great. And the judges love it. And that's, that's you know, not at all uh, an undesirable thing to do. That's, yeah. that's great that the dog is showing natural caution around, uh, around scent. scent. Yeah. So, yeah. How far do they have to uh, track after that situation? Um, it's not a... It, it's more of watching the behavior of the dog. Um, are they, are they super interested in following it? Do they, are they able to really extend out? You know, do they lose the track? They circle around and when they pick it up again, do they take it a little bit further? Are they able to overcome an obstacle? So, you know, if the rabbit ran across a dirt road and the dog just stops and just can't seem to manage going across the two track, you know, that's not as good as a dog that is willing to just keep pushing and, and keep working through any sort of visual obstacles that might be there to to follow that track so with the jackrabbit they're usually not going to find the rabbit at the end (laughs) in the next county you know but um but just showing that kind of persistence and desire and that willingness to kind of keep working at it keep focusing push a little bit farther a little bit farther um that's that's all they want to see them do yeah for sure what uh you you've probably touched on a few of the things but what's been your most rewarding piece or the thing that you 
have enjoyed the most um, of getting of becoming a Deutsch long hair <laughs> long hair owner uh, breeder and just just being like dive deep in after diving yeah. deep into the breed. Yeah, um, that's a really good question, and the thing that comes to mind right away surprises me, um, and it's it's the people, and I'm not a people person. Um, that's why we all love dogs, right? <laughs> kind of yeah. relate to them better. Agreed. Um, but but I did not expect when Joe came home six, seven years ago and said, hey, I think we should try duck hunting. It sounds kind of fun. Um, at no point did I think I was going to get plugged into this incredible community, whether it's specifically the Deutsch Longhaar folks. I mean, we all get together once a year uh, in South Dakota. We bring all of our dogs. We have like 40 or 50 uh, Longhaar there and we have our annual meeting and our breed show and just a big social get together um, whether it's that group or whether it's the the larger german community or navda or you know going into project upland and getting connected with other you know dog people and other upland hunters i just i did not expect this little brown puppy that we brought home to have unlocked this whole community and social network and shoot i quit my job to, to work at Project Upland full-time a year ago. I just, it was just a puppy that we brought awesome. home. Yeah. It's just, you know, when you connect with something that makes sense to you, um, it's, yeah, it's really easy to say, well, sure, I'll, I'll adjust my life and follow this other path that I had yeah. no idea, you know, seven years ago that I was going to do that. <laughs> if Project Upland has an opening, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. That'd, be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that, and, you know, some people ask us about the, the podcast and that's kind of what keeps us going too is yeah. it's opened our eyes up to just the more bird species more dog breeds just yeah. more people that know way more than what we do and it's it's awesome to talk to uh, individuals like yourself that are so invested in certain breeds to you know you learn so much about them and I just I, I really enjoy that part and you know it's <clears throat> you know, Nick, he just got his poodle pointer. And, you know, if I don't think if we would have started this podcast, you know, he's always mm -hmm. been a lab guy, he would have never, you know, maybe never known about him. Um, you know, and that's just the dog he got to hunt with one and uh, just, he really enjoyed the way it hunted and his, you know, his wife likes the way it, you know, how it acted and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. you know, he fell on that one and said, I got to look in and uh, I was like, man, these dogs, they remind like their looks, you know, with the fluffiness of the ears yeah. and stuff like they remind me of a golden mm -hmm. um, and I know they don't hunt like a golden, um, <laughs> but they kind of remind me of it. And my wife, she likes the way goldens look. So it's like, mm -hmm. all right, which one, you know, for me yeah. and I like yeah. the way they look the most too. Um, but what's, uh, can you give us one or two of your favorite hunting stories, mm. um, with your Deutsch Longhars? <laughs> uh, there've certainly been a lot of really memorable ones. Um, you know, we've come a long way. Uh, the first bird that I ever shot over Piper when she was eh, six months old or so, it, you know, it had been a whole season. Well, a whole season with a, yeah. you know, five, six, seven month old puppy, but we were, we were committed. We were out every weekend. We were just doing everything we could. Um, she had pointed before and the first time she pointed we didn't believe her because we had no idea what we were doing and all of a sudden you know you think you aren't seeing anything you're like oh there's nothing here the dog doesn't know what she's doing and then you walk in there and the whole cubby of quail gets up <laughs> um so the first time i i actually shot 
uh, bird over her. Uh, she swallowed it whole, um, and oh. I was convinced that we had completely ruined this dog. So, so now we had this, you know, high octane puppy that had finally figured out what to do. She found the bird. I actually connected on one, and down down the throat it went. So, um, <laughs> I I was I was so embarrassed and so mortified that I like I didn't speak to anybody about it for a couple of weeks. I was like, I can't tell the breeder that I ruined this dog. Like, I just I I don't know how to own up to this cardinal sin. And uh, and when I finally owned up to it, or <laughs> Our breeder said, well, maybe you might want to try hunting pheasants for a while because they're bigger. <laughs> but okay, that's that's good advice. I guess I guess I won't uh, I won't write off the next 15 years with this dog just on that experience. So that's where we started. Um, you know, this this last season, uh, last year's upland season for us was tough. We just had bad weather. The mountains were really snowy. Um, our hunting grounds got hit with a lot of ice pretty early on. So oh, yeah, it's tough. About Christmas time, we had to pivot over to waterfall hunting, which we're lucky here to to have that as an option. You know, mm-hmm. oh, the mountains have too much ice. Okay, great, we'll go shoot ducks. Um, we had some really, really bang up duck days, which a good duck day makes you think you're gonna, you know, quit everything and become a duck hunter because yeah. there's just there's there's nothing like it. A bad duck day is like the worst day ever because you got up at three o'clock in the morning and <laughs> now you're wet and cold and have nothing to show for it. But yep. um, we had some really good duck days this season, but. Oh, one that stands out for me was uh, on our way into South Dakota for DL Fest this year in November. Uh, we stopped at some grasslands and uh, mostly it was just to air out the dogs. We'd been in the car for the last 18 hours and um, just wanted to stretch our legs a little bit. And we're in new country to us. We didn't know how to hunt it. Yeah. It looked like it had been grazed really, really short. Um, we just got out to stretch and up go this covey of sharp tails and we're like, oh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, uh, so, this looks like a good place to stop. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, literally, the dogs just got out of the box straight from a road trip. I'm like still lacing my boots, <laughs> like, you know. Okay, let's go. And uh, and we were we never got to that initial group, but Piper ended up finding a huge covey that had, that had been kind of holed up in some in some tight cover. And uh, she went on point, and I shot my first sharp tail over her, and my husband got one out of the same flush. And nice. just, you know, talk about versatility. We didn't know where to go. We just kind of pulled off the road to stretch. And, uh, you know, the dogs were like, okay, we're on the prairie. This is cool. And a little while later, we've each got a really nice grouse in our hands. And, um, yeah, that to me, that's just cool. Being able to show up and say, let's try this and uh, and have it work out like that is yeah. pretty lucky and pretty cool. That is awesome. How many, but how many miles did you run the Garmin system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have an alpha. Um, how, <clears throat> how many miles do, you, do they put on in an average hunt? They, uh, they very reliably do three and a half to four times of whatever we do. Okay. Um, and so we... A typical chucker hunt for us will be mm, eight to ten miles. So the you know the dogs are putting in thirty miles, thirty-five oh. miles or so. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. Wow. What's like? What's do you know what their average speed is by chance or? Um, that's it's a little bit tough to say because you know by the time I get back to the truck and I look at the stats well yeah. you know we stopped for lunch halfway out there you know yeah, but yeah. I typically see about a like a maybe a 10 mile an hour average for their their you know average moving <laughs> speed dang that is impressive 30 yeah. some miles in the day yeah yeah Holy they cow. uh they by the time hunting season wraps up they are in stupid good shape yeah. um but uh no they just they just love 
love it. You just see them out there and they just, yeah, they're doing what hundreds of years have, have programmed them to do. And uh, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yeah, for sure. No, that is, <laughs> that's super cool. I, I love that they can, they have that engine in them to be able to mm-hmm. just go mm-hmm. and, you know, and in Iowa, you know, that's, it's kind of one of the downfalls of, I mean, Iowa is a fun state to hunt. Don't get me wrong, but it's kind of, um, it's kind of the downfall of it is there's not <clears throat> huge tracts of land to let your dog mm-hmm. just, just go, you yeah. know, you, like in some of the, our buddies, um, they have setters and, you know, the, in Iowa, they're ranging hundred to 150 yards, you know, but then you talk to like these people that are out West with setters and they got six, 700 yard right. yeah. dogs, yeah. you know, it's like, man, that would just be as a setter owner, I'd be like, man, that is just, that would just be freaking cool to just know that your dog can do that. Totally. And like, totally. see that. And you know how you said earlier, how they'd range out 400 yards or whatever to check mm-hmm. cover. Like mm-hmm. that's cool. And the dog, like knowing that the dog knows enough to continue going. Right. Yeah. And isn't scared yeah. to. Yeah. Like, and, and experience, experience teaches them a lot. Um, you know, Piper really started coming into her own as a chucker dog by her fourth season, really. Um, of just really starting to get that mental picture of where she should expect to find birds. And, and that's yeah. what really draws her out. And I, it's nice when she wants to run to the bottom of a draw and check it. And that means I didn't have to, <laughs> I can yeah. stay up on the top of the ridge, you know? So um, yeah, experience is really, really what for our dogs, what, what draws them out. Yeah, for sure. And one last thing before we, before we jump mm-hmm. off, as, uh, we didn't touch on it earlier and I was going to bring it up, but um, the, is there many health issues that you guys see with it being such like a, strict breeding yeah um, is there many health issues that are or any concerns of like you yeah. know a lot of like retrievers per se have cancer and sure, you know, sure, all sure. that stuff is do you see much of that in i think we don't quite have enough of a population to be able to really establish trends um you know i certainly keep tabs on you know when when we lose a dog to one thing or another but we don't have and and i don't i don't want to be the person that comes on and says our our breed has no health issues of course it does but but you know with only you know so far this year we've had four litters born in the u.s so it's just it's not a a huge huge population um we do uh something that we're keeping an eye on is juvenile cataracts um we, it's not a requirement to uh, test the dogs, but just the process of adding a new requirement for breed certification is, is a long, right? it's a long, yeah, uh, it, it, it's a long process. So we haven't added it as a formal requirement yet. I suspect it eventually will be, but yeah, juvenile cataracts have been shown to pop up and that's a, that's a, a known genetic thing. So any dog that has that would not be bred, um, but you can test that. You can have an eye doctor evaluate them um, and, and give them a clean bill of health uh, when they're at breeding age. Um, and it's a good idea to have that checked fairly routinely. So yeah, um, yeah that's really <laughs> the only thing that in addition to hip dysplasia um, that we are actively monitoring for, um, but it's really more of a population size question than, than anything else. Yeah. And I think with that size breed, because what are they like 60 to 70 pounds or something? Yeah, like our girls are like 55 and just shy of 60. The males tend to run more like 70 to 80 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. I think with that size, you're always, there's always that potential for hip dysplasia. Sure. 
and just sure. and, and probably the length of the dog and whatnot. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a lot of research that's trying to figure out if you know how much of it's genetic, how much of it's environmental. You know, there's a lot of studies that show what happens to the dog even in its first eight weeks of life uh, can have a, a huge influence on it because hip dysplasia is, is looseness in the hip joint, yeah. right? So, you know, puppies that are raised on surfaces with good traction that's better for them than being raised on slippery surfaces. So that's a tough one to to pin down, but we can x-ray dogs and we can evaluate them prior to breeding them. And that's the best we can do from a, from a genetic standpoint. Yep. For sure. Nope. That's awesome. Well, Jennifer, I appreciate you coming on, fun. uh, talking about, you know, your experience with project Upland, the Deutsch Longhars. Um, I'm sure we'll be in touch with down the road when, uh, I'm looking at more of getting another pup, but, uh, yeah. uh, no, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely stay in touch and, uh, Again, hopefully uh, someday our paths will cross with I hope so, a DL yeah. or something. You never yeah, know. Perhaps in South Dakota. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yep, for sure. So awesome. Well, I won't keep you any longer and good night.